I went over and talked to them, and they said, yeah, we're with the Brea Baptist Church, and um, we, we, do this, uh, we do this Bible study here. You ought to join us. And I said, well, I can't really. I'm already part of this group. And they said, no, no, no. We do this every Tuesday. So after a while, I joined them, and every Tuesday morning, there's at least 12 guys to men's group there studying the Bible. And it's just an amazing thing. Um, right now, we're going through the book of Isaiah. Um, we did the book of John. We did, uh, what was before that? Psalms, Job, we did it all. Um, but it, it's really a great thing. And, and Pastor Dan is a truly great leader. He's, he's really insightful. Um, he got his Master's of Divinity from Talbot School of Theology at Biola, um, fine school. And he's just a really great pastor, great preacher. And give him a little personal information about him. He and his wife, um, Crystal, were unable to have children. So instead of bemoaning that fact, they adopted kids, and they have a, adopted a son who was born into a, a drug-infested cesspool, um, and Dan adopted him out of that, and they're currently in the process. They have a foster girl who they're in the process of adopting as well out of the same situation. So that's a little picture about who Dan is. Without any further ado, give a great warm welcome to Pastor Dan Cook. Bob, thank you so much for that. Those wonderful pack of lies. I mean, that wonderful welcome that you just gave me. I really appreciate that. That's good stuff. Uh, as, as he said, we're a loud, rowdy group. So he fits right in. You know, we were, he, he saw the volume level. <laughs> and we're like, dude, you belong over here. <laughs> and he made us even louder, which is amazing. But, you know, God does miracles. That's good stuff. So anyway, thank you so much for having me here. I am... I am honored to, to come and show up here and uh, just worship with you and open up the Bible with you. And uh, I promise not to pound it too hard. I see this thing wobbles a little bit, so I don't want to break it. But I do want to pray with you really quick before we jump in. Would you do that with me, please? Father in heaven, we just praise your name. We sing that you call us friend. What an amazing thing that is. And that we are your children. While we were yet sinners, you made that possible. While we were running away from you, you called us back. And not just called us back, but brought us into your family through what Jesus did on the cross. This is so deserving of our worship. So deserving of our dedication as a loving, worshipful response to you. Today, as we open the word, God, we ask, we ask, we beg that your spirit would just enliven us a little more to draw closer to you, to follow you with every step we take, to do all that we can for the glory of God. We ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And for that purpose, we ask that you would work in this time, that these words would not be mine, but they would be yours. Amen. Amen. Now, you guys are in the process of looking for a pastor right now. Am I right? Cool. This can be a difficult time for a church. This could be challenging. But it's also a very exciting thing, I think, because the difficulty comes when we're wondering what's next, right? Wow, I'm getting really fuzzy there. Can you, can you still hear me? Is that okay? Cool. I'm glad I shaved. Anyway, 
Um, this could be a, a time where you're wondering, like, what, what this unknown that's ahead of you. We don't know what the next pastor is going to be like. We're looking. How long is it going to take? What's going to happen in the meantime? But it's also a very exciting time because what does God have for you next? What's good? I believe God has good plans. And whatever's next is going to be new. It's going to be different, but it's going to be good. And as you seek that, I want to just offer some blessing, offer some help to you maybe from the scriptures today. And uh, if you weren't already confused as to the, what you already heard about blood being thrown on ears and thumbs and feet and the altar and how that could possibly be of help to you, some of you who are visitors today are leaning over to your friend who brought you and said, this is why I don't do church. They're talking about blood, and that's gross. I mean, look, it's on the screen and everything. This is going to get weird. Now, I, I just ask that you bear with me here, and if you've got a Bible, turn it to Exodus chapter 29. We want to look a little bit at the context of the passage we already heard read, Exodus 29. I know this is a different passage from what usually happens when a pastor says, I want to encourage you as you search for your new pastor. Some of you might have been expecting, you know, uh, 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1 or something like that. And those are great, absolutely great passages to look at. Uh, This one, it's a little bit different. As we look at Moses following God's instructions to consecrate the priests. This is an interesting thing, an interesting time in uh, Israel's history. They had just left slavery in Egypt. They're on their way to their new home, but they stop at the mountain of Sinai, and they're there, and they're um, you know, getting the Ten Commandments. They're hearing the law directly from God on the mountain. They build this big tent and surrounding structure. We call it the tabernacle. This, God says, this is where you come to worship me. This is where you stand before me. This is where the sacrifices and the praying happens. But you need priests to manage this, priests to lead you through this, to pray for you, to be an intermediary. If you're wondering what the definition of the priest is back in those days, it was the, it, the priests were the people who brought the prayers and uh, administered the sacrifices of the people to God and taught the word of God to the people. They stood in between God and people. Now, why did they need that? Well, God is perfect and holy, and he's all-powerful. And he's wonderful in every way. People are not. Have you discovered that to be true? (laughs) Any of you you wake up this morning and say, you know, I'm just wonderful? Some of you did, I can tell. (laughs) Repent. (laughs) See, the thing is, we are not perfect. In fact, if you want to really... Get honest, and I like to get real with you, and, and if that offends you, too bad. I, the thing is, we, I am the, one of the least perfect people I know, okay? In fact, I might slide up alongside Paul in the New Testament and refer to myself as a wretch, because I know what goes on in this sick brain. I know the stuff that's in my heart, and I know the things I think in my weaker moments. I know the things that are lurking within me. I have my own history to look back on. My failures, my problems, all of that. And I don't mean to get up here and try to act like I'm something I'm not. The Bible says, all have sinned. That word sin literally means to fall short. As it says, to fall short of the glory of God, to miss the mark. 
And God, he wants people. He loves people. He wants there to be a family. And he called out these people, the children of Israel, to be his family. He says, I will be your God. You will be my people. We will have this relationship. But they are sinners just like I am and you are. And that creates a problem. Perfect, holy, just God, sinful, unjust people, how do they coexist? Have you ever tried to have dinner with someone you can't stand to be in the presence of? Maybe it was you that they couldn't stand to be in the presence of. I don't know. Where, where people are like, oh, they scoot away. They See, here's the thing. God has compassion and he loves us, but he literally, I, I was about to say it wrong. I was about to say he can't be in our presence. The, actually, the other thing is true. We can't be in his and escape judgment. We like to say that God is love and he is, but he is also justice. He is also righteousness, and he would be a bad God if he did not address sin. So here he is, God, I want these people, I want these people to be connected to me like children and a father, but here they are in their sinful state. This can't continue. I'm going to take care of this once and for all at some point. But in the meantime, God says, let's set up this means by which sacrifices can be done. Where they would bring in these animals and they would consecrate them. They would put their hands on them as a symbol of transference of guilt. This animal now identifies with me. And then they'd bring it and slaughter it and throw it on an altar and burn it. And that was a symbolic statement of what that animal's getting I deserve. And because it died in my place, its blood, because they said in, in, in the ancient times, they would say that the life is in the blood. It gets poured out. The life was given. It was taken on my behalf. And they would use the blood to splash on altars, to put on people and stuff as a symbol of the covering. My sin is now covered. My imperfections have been wiped clean by this act that God now accepts me because the animal died in my place. His justice has been taken care of. So I could stand before God now and pray confidently that he will hear me and I could be confident that he loves me and accepts me. In order for that system to work, you had to have people slaughtering the animals. You had to have people who were willing to pray on behalf of the people to God on the daily basis. They called them priests. And God told Moses, you got to have a priesthood. Your brother Aaron is the beginning of this. These guys are going to be the priests before me, and then their generations on and on and on. So in Exodus 29, I have it right here in my ESV Bible. It says right there, consecration of the priests. In other words, we're inaugurating their, their, their service. We're beginning their thing. We've got to start it off. We've got to install these guys. Okay, and there's a bunch of things. They had special clothing to put on and all this stuff to do, but I want to pick up right here at verse excuse me, at verse 15, if you'll join me there. All this other stuff's already been happening, but right here is where I want to focus. Then you shall take one of the rams, because they had this bull and two rams that they brought in. They killed the bull and burnt the whole bull on the offering. It's like a symbol of all of us completely belonging to God. But then it says, you shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his sons will lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you will kill the ram and take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar, and you shall cut the ram into pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with the pieces and its head, and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering for the Lord, a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. 
Again, the whole animal, not just parts, as a symbol that I now completely belong to God. And I want to pause right now and say something I've already said, but now put it in the form of a question. Who chose who would be the priest? God did. Did they form a search team? Did anybody vote? (laughs) God chose who would be the priest. And this is the first thing I want to tell you guys just as an encouragement. You guys are looking for a pastor. Your denomination will do things to help you, and you will form a search team if you haven't already. But here's the good news. God's already chosen the one. God's already chosen. God's not up there going, oh, what's Orange SDA going to do? Hey, guys, let's watch. They're going to pick a pastor. I hope they pick a good one. Let's pray for them. I think God's in charge. And I think when he sees his people in need of leadership, in need of direction, in need of spiritual health, he says, I will provide the one that's needed. We see that here. He said, here's these people. They need an intermediary between me and them. They've got Moses as my voice. They need someone for the praying and the sacrificial system and the worship. Okay, Aaron's the man. And God didn't consult anybody on that one. And you're like, well, Dan, that's great. We are not Old Testament Israel. Have you noticed this? I have. But God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And he doesn't leave his people hanging. So he picks Aaron, and he has picked your next pastor. All you got to do is find him. That's all you got to do. He's got to find him. He's got to be praying and looking. And how do you do that? Well, we're going to get into that a little bit. But first of all, just say, let's just say this. You are looking for the one that God has already chosen for you. And I would present to you that it, he will not make it difficult for you to find this person. It'll be clear. So keep praying and trust in God's sovereign choice and in God's timing. I, I grant you that's the hard part, right? It's easy, oh, I trust God, I trust God. Okay, it's going to take a while. Oh, I don't like that as much. You know, we just heard, uh, you just heard a little bit of my story. Um, uh, I I understand potluck is afterward, right? Ah, Amen, you guys are Christians. So, um, if you want to come and and see pictures, I'm one of those dads, okay? I'll whip up the phone and say, I've got 600 pictures. How much time do you got? So, we got this little boy, right? He moved into our house when he was 10 months old. We adopted him last August, four years later. The foster system usually doesn't take that long. We almost lost him, had to give him back. That was difficult. On the adoption day when we went down to L.A. and I stood in a courtroom and I signed stuff and I promised stuff. And then I had to get, well I didn't have to. After it was all done we got to take pictures up on the platform with the judge. The judge leaned over to me and said, I looked at the file. This took a long time. And I said, I know. It was hard. And that was with a couple hundred people, friends, family, and my church praying that it would happen faster. God's timing is not ours. But it gets done. So don't be discouraged when it takes a while. It's okay. I heard a pastor say about many different subjects, and I'm going to share it with you. If God were to have a kitchen, and you went into that kitchen, he does not have any microwaves. What he's got is crockpots and smokers. 
But isn't the stuff cooked in those so much better than a hot pocket? I mean, seriously. I got a buddy with a smoker. He's got, dude, I got ribs in here for 12 hours. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Thank you, Jesus. When's dinner? You know, if I went over to the same guy's house and he was like, oh, we got some Pop-Tarts and Hot Pockets, I'd be like, I'm gonna go to a different friend's house. What God does is better no matter how long it takes. Mm. So you are looking for the one God has chosen. Rest in that. Rest that God has picked someone that is set aside for his holy purposes, much like these priests. Now here's the weird part, okay? This is the part you heard read already. Verse 19, you will take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons will lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and the tips of the right ears of his sons, and on the thumbs of the right hands, on the great toes of the right feet, and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Huh? That's weird. Why are we putting blood on the guy? (laughs) and on his sons, and there, in those places. Now, some of us will say this is another symbol for the complete person being, belonging to God. See, when you applied blood in the sacrificial system, when blood is touching stuff, what it's doing is it's cleansing it for holy purpose, and it's marking it as belonging to God for God's purposes. So that's why before all this, they had to anoint the altar and anoint the, the tabernacle and put blood all over everything because everything all belongs to God. That's what they were saying. They were setting it apart. And so the whole man now, this priest, is belonging to God, is cleansed by God, made acceptable to God because of this sacrifice and set apart for the purposes of God. So you see the ears like here and the thumb is here, generally around here, and the feet are down there. So it's the whole person has been covered, Right? That's one interpretation, and I like it. But we've already had a few symbols that demonstrate the whole man belonging to God with the whole burnt offering and all that kind of stuff. So there might be something a little bit more here. But first of all, you're looking for somebody who will recognize that they completely belong to God. And before you settle back and say, oh, good, that's right. Because that's in our traditions, right? That's in our cultures, You know what some people introduce me like? Oh, here's Dan. He's a pastor. He's a man of God. And let me just ask you very bluntly. If you've claimed that the name of Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and you're a dude, are you not also a man of God? Ladies, are you not women of God when you claim Christ as Lord? You see, that to which the blood is applied belongs to God. And if the blood of Christ has now been applied to you, guess what? You belong to God. Not just your pastor. See, that's the problem among many that I can get into if you want to do it with Western, actually, no, this goes back all the way, 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 way back in the history of the church. You get this idea that here's this body of believers, and then you get somebody who's, quote, in charge, and then that person becomes the professional Christian, while the rest of us becomes consumers of Christianity. And that is not the will of God or the design for his people in the least. But that's what we do. 
And we see it come out in so many different ways uh, and, and interesting little you know, things like, oh, well, I, he belongs to God, but I can do what I want. <laughs> oh, there's a visitor here. He looks kind of scary. Get the pastor. Oh, hey, this person doesn't know Jesus. Get the pastor. Oh, there's somebody who feels lonely. Get the pastor. Oh, that person's sick and needs prayer. Get the pastor. There's a problem. Get the pastor. 50 people standing around who claim Jesus is Lord and Savior and claim to have the Holy Spirit in their hearts and changing their minds, going, get the pastor. Why? <laughs> I'm starting to make my church angry. Because I start saying stuff like this. You do it. And then they say this. <laughs> Not everybody. But this really calls out the heart. You ready for this one? Well, what do we pay you for? So the degree of dedication to God is dependent on money and whether or not you're paid for it? Oh, church, we got to repent of this stuff. Mm -mm. We belong to God. And if you're thinking, but Dan, no, this is how it's always been. Priests, pastors, people, check it. 1 Corinthians 7.23, Paul says it. You were bought with a price. That was written to the first Corinthians, not the pastors. That's all of us. Every one of us belongs to Jesus and are therefore marked for his service. Yes, you want a pastor who gets that and will lead you in that lifestyle as well. Back to the priest thing. The function of the priest, I've already kind of described that, and you might know, some of you, that Jesus fulfills this completely. In the book of Hebrews, he's called the great high priest. He not only was the sacrifice and is the sacrifice that covers all of our sin, but he is also standing as the mediator between us and God that we need, now and forever. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore he, that's Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sin of the people. Propitiation, that's one of those big cool words. That means the complete payment. It's all covered and done. That's what he's done for us. He has made that complete payment. That is why when you came in today, there isn't an altar here upon which we're cutting up a goat. I'm thankful for that. Because, ew. And... Exodus 19.6, check this out. This is where it comes into all of us. Even the Israelites were told this. Exodus 19.6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What was God saying to the people? You're all priests. You all have this function of being able to come to me and to demonstrate my glory to a world that needs to know about me. Revelation 1, 5b through 6 says this, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, so that's Jesus, right? And has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, that's you and me, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, written by the guy who followed Jesus. His life radically changed, one of the disciples, Peter. But you are a chosen race, all of you who know Jesus. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you've been marked by his blood for this service. When do I retire? We have another word for that. It's called death. <laughs> I say that because sometimes Christians will come up to me who've been doing this for years and say, oh, it's, it's time for me to be done. Let the young people do it. Really? Everybody check. If you don't feel anything, I'm sure there's some ushers that might be able to help you real quick. Just put a hand up and say, hey, I, I feel no pulse. But if you've got a pulse and you believe in Christ, you've been marked and claimed by his blood and set apart for his service. You need a pastor that will lead you there because that's who you are. So look for someone who will lead you in putting Jesus first and prioritizing and prioritize cl- proclaiming him to the world. Because as we just saw, he, in 1 Peter it's, you know, you know, 2, 9, the, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into this marvelous night. Why? Because there are lots of people who are still not in the light. And they need a proclaimer. And ain't just a pastor. That's all of us. If the blood of Jesus covers you, The call to follow Jesus is compelling you. You are marked for his service. Now, how do we get there? You might think, Dan, finding whoever God has chosen is hard. Dan, I get that I'm supposed to serve God. I'm supposed to do his will, and I'm supposed to proclaim his excellencies to the dark world, and I, yeah, but that's hard. Like I admitted myself earlier, I know what goes on up here. And in here, I know my own insecurities. I know my faults and my problems and my unwillingness to love God with a whole heart because I like to follow my own heart. I think you can relate to me on that one, right? How do we get there? Well, I think we can see it in this passage. We already saw that the blood of that second ram was taken and put on the ear and put on the thumb and on the toe. We propose a possible symbol as to why that might be. What do you do with this? This is how you hear. And remember what I said. When the blood is applied to something, that thing is set apart in a special way for God. Cleansed, prepared, and and now for God's use. Do you think God deserves our ears? What does Jesus say a lot? He who has ears, let him hear. When we belong to Jesus, we do well to live in that truth and in that reality. And one of the ways we can get there, that can help us get there, is that we have to recognize that our hearing, our capacity to take in information, now is no longer our own, but belongs to God. Therein lies, I think, the problem that I've experienced many times in life and many of us struggle with when it comes to knowing God's will. Have you ever said this one or heard somebody say it? I wish I could hear from God, but I don't hear him. Have you ever been jealous when you've heard people say things like, man, God told me this. And you're like, what, did he send you an email? How did that work? How could you have this assurance that God is speaking to you? Okay, first off, in a very, very, very basic and almost cliche level, let me tell you this. If you're wondering why God isn't speaking to you, and this book is always looking like that, I suggest you do this and do this because his voice is here 
speaking constantly. And so many people are like, oh, I never hear from God. Oh, do you ever read this? Oh, no, I'm just expecting to hear somehow. And that's not how the Holy Spirit works. One of the capacities of the Holy Spirit is that he comes and reminds you of the words of Christ. Jesus told the disciples, don't worry when you're in those tough situations. The Holy Spirit will remind you of what I say. Here's the thing about reminding. You must have already minded it. So if he's got no well to pull from in you to remind you of anything, you're going to be out of luck and hanging out there to dry. So fill your mind with the word of God. And when you fill your mind with the word of God, you become like me when I was a, a, a teller at a bank. I, was, I worked for Bank of America for a couple of years. And I was handling money constantly, constantly. I had, money was passing through my hands. At the end of the day, I was like, my fingertips were dark green and dirty. It was disgusting. But let me tell you, when counterfeit money passed through my hands, I recognized it not because, not because it was, I, I, I took a class on how to recognize counterfeit money. It's because I'd handled so much real money that I recognized, whoa, that feels weird. That feels different. And the more of the truth that you allow your brain to soak in, and the more of the true God and his word that you experience, when the fake stuff shows up and the distractions show up, the more ready you are to go, wait, that, that, that ain't real. And keep yourself away from it. That's good enough reason on itself. All by itself right there. But, <clears throat> also, what we need to consider is that some of us are reading the Word of God consistently, which I hope you are. Like, you know, if you, if you read the Bible 15 minutes every day, you will get through the Bible in one year, and you're thinking, oh, man, 365 reading sessions. Oh, one whole year. Yeah, let's say if you faithfully get it done. And then in five years, you've read through the Bible five times. And in 10 years, you've read it 10 times. Have you read anything 10 times? Some of us may have watched a movie 10 times, maybe. But how knowledgeable of the word of God would you be and how therefore ready for it to direct your life would you be? How cool would that be? Mm. So part of the problem though, isn't that some of us aren't reading the Bible but because we have allowed so many other voices in as well. There are people who will read the Bible and pray and have that wonderful time, maybe in the morning or whenever they do it, but then they spend the rest of the day with the news on or spend hours, whatever it might be. There's so many things that we can do. We can watch the news. We can play video games, we could read other things and get into all kinds of entertainment and stuff. And I love movies, I get that, you know, and I grew up playing video games. I'm not saying repent of your video games. Parents, don't look at your kids and say, see, the pastor said we need to throw away the video games. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, what I'm inviting you to, I should say, is this. What kind of intake are you involving yourself in? Because here's what's really vitally important. That which you bring in starts to change what is inside and therefore that which will come out is determined by it if you read the bible for 15 minutes a day and then for example are one of those people who complains all day about everything that bothers you and the people that bother you and you're involving yourself in gossip and negative speech all day long 
What has more voice in your life? Because if you're one of those people who's a gossip and likes to t- talk bad about people around you, maybe talk bad about people in government, talk bad about people in the city, talk bad about people at church and everything, and you're just always talking bad, you probably organized a little group of gossipers around yourself, Quest. I got to talk about Bob today. Yeah, yeah. And then we make those little spiritual excuses, right? Oh, this is a prayer request. I got to talk about Bob today, guys. I'm, just, I'm not gossiping, but I, gotta, I just got to, we just got to pray for the brother. I mean, gosh, he's such a curmudgeon. You know, Puritan talk that he always is into, you know, whatever. And we got to pray for this guy. No, I'm not gossiping, but man, he annoys me. And we spiritualize it. But I get around a group of people around me. Yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, we got to pray for him. Yeah, yeah, but we were sort of just this negative speech constantly turning our mind away from loving him and just being annoyed with him. And we do that all the time. Let's sit around and bag on the president. Let's bag on Congress. Let's, tell, let's, let's sit around and solve all the world's problems, which basically amount to everyone out there needs to repent and be like me. And is that doing us any good? See, the, the, the trap is for listening is that a lot of Christians, oh, I don't watch the rated R movies. I don't let my kids play the video games that are really violent. And all that might be good, but you know what? We get around and we do great violence with our words. And we listen to other people doing great violence with their words. And we listen and listen and listen to so much negativity and problem and evil. And we don't remember, oh yeah, God is good. God is sovereign. God has a plan for you that does not involve sitting at Starbucks and complaining about the world around you and settling for that kind of an experience. But people love to do that because they love to listen to themselves talk and listen to others talk. And we need to recognize, wait, my ears belong to God now. So when somebody starts gossiping, I shut that off. I don't participate in it. Somebody said, dude, Bob's my friend. I know he's not perfect, but I love the guy. Do you have a problem with him? Let's go talk together with him, like it says in the Bible, because I listen to the Bible. I listen to what Jesus says, and Jesus says, go with two, with two people that have witnessed it and win your brother back. Otherwise, and I mean this in the deepest theological terms, shut up. We need to recognize our ears now belong to God. Therefore, our capacity to take in information and participate in the exchange of information belongs to God and not me anymore. So what am I using it for? What am I listening to? We can get into the whole, what music do you listen to? Is it uplifting? Is it tearing down? I just want to invite you to look at yourself very carefully this morning. Not about what particularly, unless that is something that God's convicting you of, But how much of what is true and good and noble and holy and pure is coming in in relationship to all the other stuff? And give that some real consideration. Is this, what are the ingredients that I'm letting in? He also anointed the thumb. The thumb is part of the hand. The hand is our capacity to interact with the world and do some good or do some harm. Our strengths, our abilities, our talents, Those have been marked by the blood. That belongs to God too. The way I interact with the world now belongs to God. My talents, my abilities, my time, my energy now belong to God. What I am able to do and what I can be used for, is it proclaiming the glory of God? Or am I just building my own kingdom? Am I doing my own thing? If you're skillful at art, if you're a skillful speaker, if you like just 
acts of mercy and helps to others, and serving, cooking, cleaning, you got a car, you got a house, you've got time. We all have various or all of those things. Guess what? All that belongs to God too. I love this lady at my church. She's, she's a fun lady and uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, whenever there's somebody in town, like, like a traveling missionary or something, and we're like, hey, this person needs, con- needs um, transportation. Can, you know, sometimes you let us borrow one of your, you, you have this extra car. Can we borrow the car? And her response is always, well, it's God's car, so yes. I'm like, perspective. I dig that. It's God's car. I had a family buy a house, a condo in Brea. They invited the pastors over to dedicate the house to God. Like, wow, how many of us think of that? This is my house. Or is it God's house? No, God's house is the church. This is my house. (laughs) Everything we have belongs to him. Everything we can do belongs to him. So think about how much time you spend every day and every week doing stuff that's just for you and what you could be doing for God. Now, that's a big open-ended thing. I don't know where it is you're going to start, but I would advise you to recognize that God gave you the talents and abilities and the smarts and the creativity and everything that is that makes you you all came from God by his design and is marked for his service now. What could you do? There's nothing too big and nothing too small. Like I said, there's, we always lift up and glorify those who speak. But how about those who play a piano? Those who sing? Those who greet you on the way in and hand you a bulletin and shake your hand and make it look like it's sincere. All that important. Hanging out with kids. Opening the gate up. Goes over to my neighbor's house when they're in need and brings them a meal. Because I kind of know how to cook. A hot pocket. (laughs) It's my buddy that's got the smoker. It's not me. Our time our resources. And then the big toe. What do you do with your toes? Specific, let's go bigger. What do we do with our feet? They walk. And I just mentioned going over to my neighbor's house. You see, objects in motion tend to stay in motion. Objects at rest tend to stay at rest. Most often, I'll confess, I'm very tempted to be an object at rest. Doing nothing. It's easier to do nothing. Have you discovered that to be true as well? Once you're sitting there, It's hard to get up and get moving. God has anointed our capacity to move. And here's an example of it that I thought of when I was considering this. The guy who pastored the church, when I moved, I grew up in Ontario in in the Inland Empire, and I moved out here. The pastor that was there when I moved away, he graduated from seminary up in Oregon, and he prayed a prayer to God. God, I will go anywhere you want me to go except Southern California. Please don't send me there. To which God said, ha, 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 Inland Empire, Southern California. Hey, it's not LA. You need a pastor who understands that he needs to listen to God. You need leaders in church that understand that their ability to act belongs to God and their talents and, and, and their abilities are given by God so that he or she may go and serve God in specific ways, but also that that hearing and that serving will lead places. And they got to be willing to go. For you and for me, see, the priests needed to know that they had to go around and walk with God, follow God. But you and me, God might be leading you to talk to that neighbor. 
God might lead you, as he's done to me, to be in a coffee shop and just notice that that person over there needs a conversation. They just might need a, hey, are you okay? And I need to get off my rear end and walk over there and say, hey, are you okay? And see where that conversation goes. God might ask you to go and be reconciled to somebody. That involves leaving the place you are and walking somewhere, taking a risk. And then there's a couple friends of mine who believe that God is telling them to go and do this church stuff in a foreign country. Japan, specifically, I'm thinking of a couple at my church right now. Left to ourselves, we would stay right where we are, in our comfort zones. But where your feet are planted, that belongs to God too. So don't just stand there. (laughs) But when God is telling you to go, go. Because he's sending you where he wants you to be. And he will plant you where he wants to plant you. That not only you will flourish, but you will be a blessing to those around you. What did he say to Abraham in, in Genesis 12? He said, leave where you are and go to the place I tell you. And I love that story because he doesn't tell him where. He just says, start walking, I'll tell you when you get there. And uh, you will be a blessing to the world. You will bless every family in the world, be blessed by your family. And we are now part of that family, and that vision and mission is still upon us now to not just be comfortable in what is, but to be going toward what can be and will be by God's leading. And like I said, it could be as small as me reconciling, me reaching out in love, me talking to someone who needs a loving touch. Everything from that to the ends of the world. Remember what Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That word go, as you're going in all of life, wherever God will lead. You need a pastor who was chosen by God, belongs to God, recognizes that fact, is listening to God, therefore, working for God, and going where God leads. Because you need to be a church that is chosen by God belongs to God, listens to God, works for God, and goes where God leads. Therefore, you need leadership that will lead you where you know you ought to be and into more and deeper levels and graces of being the church that God has set you apart to be. And for therefore a church to be the church that it is ought to be and has been bought by Christ to be, that means you and I as individuals must decide with help from God, because we need it, We must know that we are chosen by God. I have been chosen by God. You have been chosen by God to follow him and to give him all of my listening, all of my acting, and all of my going. They all belong to him. If you're visiting or you've been here for years, but you've never given in to this whole Jesus stuff, I'm telling you today, coming to Jesus is not this big, easy, wonderful, you know, it's nothing. He paid it all. He did. But when you come to Christ, you're marked for service. You will come and you will sacrifice. That's not to get in. That's not to be saved. That is the gift of God. But you've joined the army (laughs) when you come. But here's what's the good news. This is the army that's changing the world for the better. There's no better place to be. No better group to be a part of 
imperfect and crazy we all might be, but we're a part of this great mission that's changing the world for Christ, and that, that I don't want to be part of anything else. So if you're visiting and you want to know more about Jesus, there's people here, I'd love to talk to you afterward. I'd love to share with you what it means, what the blood of Jesus does. Those of you who've already come, recognize that you've been touched and changed, that you might be a blessing to the world around you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you again for this time, and we ask that you would fill our hearts and minds with all that you are, that we might be who you have saved, made and saved us to be, and not settle for less. Amen.